A reading from Paul's letter to the churches in Rome. Your love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Love one another with the affection of sisters and brothers. Try to outdo one another in showing respect. Don't grow slack, but be fervent in spirit. The one you serve is Christ. Rejoice in hope. Be patient under trial. Persevere in prayer. Look on the needs of God's holy people as your own. Be generous in offering hospitality. Bless your persecutors. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Have the same attitude toward everyone. Don't be condescending to those who aren't as well off as you. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil with evil. Be concerned with the highest ideal in the eyes of all people. Do all you can to be at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. Leave room, my friends, for God's wrath. To quote scripture, vengeance is mine. I will repay them back, says our God. But there is more. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon their heads. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. This is one of our sacred writings. Thanks be to God. There's a book by Don Riso in which he describes the experience of attending a retreat that involved several days of nearly constant manual labor. The retreat center needed significant upkeep. The breaks were short, and in the intense summer heat, the lines to the few showers were long and daunting. Now, while most of us may be thinking that this sounds like the worst retreat experience one could imagine, there was a point to the madness. Each of these unpleasant conditions was intentional, engineered for one purpose, to bring out the personality features of each person so they could be seen more clearly. Our addictions and aversions are patterns of reacting that cause suffering to us and those around us. These might be easy to hide, in the normal routine of a day-to-day life, but suddenly cast into a wilderness of discomfort, these patterns quickly become clear. And it's only then that we can notice and to do something about them. This is the purpose of the season of Lent. Lent is the season of entering the desert, like Jesus, so that we can see ourselves more plainly, hear the demons in our head with more clarity. And then with love and understanding, we can allow them to heal and transform back into the angels they once were. In that respect, this whole past year really has been an extended season of Lent for us. Everything from minor inconveniences to interruptions in our routine to the loss of jobs, to the loss of life, have brought out our demons in full display. 
I read someone say last year around this time that we are all going to come out of this either monks or drunks. Depending on whether we just let those demons do what they do or learn how to transform them. One of these demons, these collective patterns of reaction that we have seen has been violence. Now, when I say violence, it probably immediately means different things to different people hearing this. Most immediately, you may be thinking of the attack against the Capitol a few weeks ago. Maybe you're thinking of the riots earlier this year in response to the death of George Floyd, or perhaps the pattern of police brutality that led to those riots. More generally, maybe violence makes you think of war or of the TV shows you feel guilty about letting your kids watch. Maybe you think of personal trauma, physical or emotional. There are many, many ways to be violent, many of which never require a shot to be fired or a punch to be thrown. When we talk about violence this season, we are talking about any instance in which one tries to assert their own will through dominance or coercion. That's a definition that's broad enough to define everything that we've just named above, as well as some aspects of our relationship with ourselves, with our children, with our families, our politics, or social media accounts. By that definition, any of those can be very violent. Again, violent thinking is the effort to assert our own will through dominance or coercion. And it is this demon that we have chosen to face square on in this Lenten season. Where does it show up? What forms does it tend to take? And when it gets right down to it, is there really any other option that works? To start to understand violence, to train our eyes to see it, let me tell you a story. And don't worry, it's short. Once upon a time, there was a hero. The hero lived in peace until one day an evil villain entered their land, bringing chaos and pain wherever they went. The hero sprang into action, and for a while it was a toss-up to see who would win. But eventually, as it was always going to be, the hero dominated the villain, beat them senseless, driving them from the land and once again bringing peace. The end. I told you it was short. But here's the question. Who was the hero that I was referring to? Who was the villain? Was I telling you about a cartoon I watched with my sons on Saturday morning or the politics podcast I listened to while walking? Was I telling you about something my church went through when I was growing up? Or was I recapping the Second World War? Was it the Book of Judges or the latest Star Wars? And the answer, of course, is it was all of them. This story is called The Myth of Redemptive Violence. And it serves as the basic plot structure, not only for popular fiction, but for the way we think, for the story that we project onto everything from ourselves, to our parenting strategies, to warfare. It asserts that if we can only dominate the enemy, then there will be peace. 
This is the pattern of violence. And it is at play at every level with a thousand names and a thousand faces. If we truly have a national religion, Walter Wink writes, it is violence. When we live by that story, we are a violent people. And large-scale national violence is only this interpersonal pattern magnified 10,000 times. We learned it in the crib. Now, for the most part, we'd probably take the high moral ground here and say, we don't really condone violence. Although that posture gets really sketchy when we start moving into hypotheticals. What if somebody breaks into my house? What if there were an active shooter situation? What if we were attacked by a foreign country? What if we were attacked by our own country? What if my rights were threatened, my children in danger? What if we were backed into a corner and there was no way out? Then our mental, moral convictions might start to waver as we echo that age-old refrain, sometimes violence is just the only way. But what if I told you it wasn't? Really? And not just in some out-of-touch spiritual kind of way. What if I said the myth of redemptive violence was actually not even the most effective way to bring peace? It was only the laziest. It's a quick fix that never lasts for very long. After all, in the story that I told above, how long until the villain returns? How long until both sides are dragged so far into the cycle of violence and counterviolence, so muddled in their self-justifying reasons for attacking each other, that it's no longer clear who the villain is? An eye for an eye, Gandhi once said, leaves the whole world blind. So this is where I would like to tell you another story. And this one's a bit longer. Once upon a time, there were two heroes. Both lived in peace until one day, one of the heroes traveled to a distant land, wild and dangerous. This hero, in their fear, had learned to live by different rules, different values, in order to survive the pain that they faced in this foreign land. And by the time they returned to their native land, they were quite mad and barely recognizable. They had forgotten themselves. And now they brought chaos and pain wherever they went. Many labeled them a villain. The hero sprang into action, trying to understand what happened to see what their fallen friend had been through and what they needed to heal. It took some time, and some people got hurt. For a while, it was a toss-up as to who would win, but eventually, as it was always going to happen, the crucible of love and understanding created a space for the lost hero's wounds to heal, and they remembered who they really were once more. The lost hero's spirit was restored, and the land, once again, was at peace. This story is less common, but it's so much truer. What is a villain, after all, but somebody just like you under different circumstances? A child of God who has forgotten who they are and learned to survive the pain thrown at them. This 
is the non-judgmental, non-violent story that Jesus tried to tell, to live. It's the prodigal son. It's the Lotus Sutra. It's the story of the, that the former terrorist, the Apostle Paul, tried to tell, speaking deeply from his own experience. This is the story of the end of apartheid in South Africa. It's the beloved community story of Martin Luther King Jr. And it is the only story that offers real hope of lasting peace, of genuine restoration. Let's call this story the myth of redemptive love. According to Walter Wink, who I quoted earlier, everything has a spiritual dimension to it. Every organization or system is trying to meet some legitimate need for something like order or safety. And every individual has legitimate needs for things like love and belonging. This is the real spirit of the person or the system following that call. But when the system forgets its true purpose, when the person starts trying to meet their needs in a way that causes suffering, then their spirit falls. The angel becomes a demon. Even gangs, Wink points out, manifest the human need for security, support, and love. And if that is the case, if no one is intrinsically evil, if we're all just trying to meet some very valid needs, then violence really stops making any sense. There are only people, systems, nations with fallen spirits, spirits that need to be redeemed, not crushed. They've forgotten who they are and can only remember when those needs are understood and addressed. There are no villains left to be defeated, only lost heroes be loved into redemption. This is a far cry from the way that people like to talk about nonviolence. The straw man that they like to hold up as impractical. This is not being a doormat. It's not ignoring evil. Quite the contrary. Nonviolence requires courageous, direct Action. It requires standing in the way of wrongdoing, putting a spoke in the wheel of injustice, as Bonhoeffer once said, and letting it crush people no more. Nonviolence requires incredible creativity and patience in reminding systems of their divine purpose and individuals of their inherent belovedness. Do not be overcome by evil, St. Paul once wrote, but overcome evil with good. And when we are able to do this, then the fruit of our nonviolence is actual peace. Not fragile peace, which, as MLK wrote, is the mere absence of tension while resentment boils beneath the surface. We're talking about real peace, which is the presence of restorative justice. This is the end of the healthiest tellings of the Christian story. It's the divine banquet, the new Jerusalem with a gate that never needs to close, a, he, a, a tree for the healing of the nations. These are the two stories that we have to learn, and they are everything.
So think for a minute about the last conflict that you heard about in the news. Which of these two myths did it play by? Think of the last conflict you saw in a movie or a book. Which myth was that? Think about the last actual disagreement you had with another person. Which myth was that? Did you ask lots of questions to try to understand the fallen hero? Or did you just go ahead and try to assert your will? Redemptive violence or redemptive love? Think about our prison system. Which myth does it live by? Our political parties, our parenting strategies, which myth? And how would the world be different if it was the other? Violence plays a role on every level of our lives and our collective life, whether we are aware of it or not. Fostering eyes to recognize the story of violence and the story of nonviolence, to choose which to live by rather than fall victim to the default. This is the goal of our wilderness journey this year. What if we gave up violence, learned how to transform it into understanding just for the next 40 days? Can you imagine? what the world would be. Let it be so. A reading from the book of Exodus. A reading from the book of Joshua. A reading from the book of Acts. Moses said to the people who had made an idol of the golden calf, go through the camp and kill your brother, your neighbor, your friend in the service of the Lord. Joshua said to the officers, prepare to take possession of the land God has given you. Put everyone to the sword, men and women, old and young. When Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles about their offering, Peter rebuked them and said, You have not lied to us, but to God. And they fell down dead. For too long, we have lived by stories of domination and fear. Even our most sacred stories have stunted our imagination and justified violence in our thoughts, words, and deeds. In this season, we humbly repent. Have mercy on us and forgive us as we look to the sources of our wounds to seek sources of healing. You have told us another story, shown us another way. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. A reading from the Epistle to the Romans. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears 
into pruning hooks. Never again will they learn the ways of war. God, help us imagine a future in which there are no villains, just heroes who have forgotten who they are. Help us live a story of understanding, grace, and love, where systems are restored to their highest calling and people to their truest selves. Help us live a story of courage where injustice is challenged and needs are met. God, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of your holy, nonviolent spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Amen.